T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, February 9th. 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. Coming up on today's show, we're going to speak with the VFW's Kata Kelleher about the continuing debate raging around medical marijuana, particularly as it pertains to treating veterans suffering from such afflictions as PTSD. And we'll play an interview we did with Major General Mark Graham of Vets for Warriors about the work that group is doing to prevent veteran suicide and why it's such an important and personal issue to General Graham. All of that coming up on today's morning briefing, which we kick off now by welcoming Mr. Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing really good, Eric. How are you? I'm okay. I won't say I'm great. I'm okay. You know, I uh, I think I was up a little bit later than I should have been last night uh, because the Olympics have started, and curling in particular was on TV. Mixed oh, doubles. Brett- breathtaking i'm sure you you watch heart stopping gripping action watch your tone son i will stomp on you for besmirching the good name of curling i'm sure they were they were scrubbing extra hard first off it's called sweeping not scrubbing. sweeping use the right terminology uh and it it was it's actually mixed doubles so instead of a four-person team it's a two-person team male and female the american team is a husband and wife team i believe uh one of which went viral last night the husband is all over Twitter because with the uniform and his facial hair and the composition of his face, he looks a little bit like someone you're probably familiar with. It's a Mario. He looks like Mario from Super Mario Brothers. I, <laughs> I saw a picture on Twitter about uh, the ice skating. Was the ice skating last night? There, the the team men's team competition, which yeah. I didn't really know was a thing. And apparently, the dude had a. a a white and gray suit top with a red bow tie. And I saw a picture of who wore it best, him and then Pee Wee Herman. Oh, yeah. Hey, if you're going to do a uh, an Olympics routine, do it to that. Uh, what's the song? Tequila. Yeah. Do it to that in a Pee Wee Herman outfit. Gold medal. Exactly. Instant. Who doesn't love Pee Wee? If you can separate the art from the artist. Yeah, of course. of course. Paul Rubens had some issues, although uh, considering what he was accused of doing originally and what's come out about some other people lately, yeah, Paul Rubens maybe doesn't look so bad. No. Yeah. I mean, he's done he, he's done some things. Him and uh, uh, oh, who was the other one in a movie theater? Oh, it was the guy who's from all the uh, the the movies like Best in Show and and Fred uh, Willard. Yeah, Fred Willard. He got busted in a movie theater uh, pulling a peewee too. So there you go. You know, is is that a description or a euphemism? No, it's pulling a, a euphemism. It's not a description. <laughs> oh, shake your mind is in the gutter. My mind, meanwhile, is on the Olympics. <laughs> and something interesting about the Olympics that we're going to talk about right now is. Something I wasn't aware of until this morning when I saw that our own Matt Saintsing on ConnectingVets.com wrote a story about it. He has a story saying veterans and military can stream the Winter Olympics for free. 
Really? Now, if you have a, a cable provider, uh, you can log in to whatever and stream it through the NBC apps. That's who has the Olympics. Uh, NBC Sports in particular. It's kind of easy to find streaming a lot of places. Uh, it's a service. like I know when we had gotten rid of our uh, cable TV up in New York and using a, a Roku and various streaming services to get our television, that NBC Sports was available for free on there. So there are ways for watching some of it, but you can watch all of it as a veteran. And do you know how? How? The same way that you shop online at the exchange now. Really? For those who are unaware, as of Veterans Day, all veterans who log on and get a, a, an ID.me, I believe it is, uh, approval through shopmyexchange.com, basically you verify your veteran status, then you get a login and you can now shop tax-free and free shipping at the exchange websites, the Navy Exchange, AFES, Coast Guard Exchange, Marine Corps Exchange. They're all open to all veterans, online only. Don't try showing up at the base and be like, Eric and Jake said I can shop here now. No, no he did way. not. Only online. Online. So if you log in to the NBC apps there, like where they stream all the stuff, NBCOlympics.com or the NBC Sports app, you choose the exchange as your service provider and then use your login information that you have with the ShopMyExchange.com account. And you can stream it anywhere on any device, wherever you are, as long as you've got a connection and an account there, you can watch the Olympics uh, for, you know, without paying for the, the cable bill if you're a cord cutter, for example. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's really cool of NBC to do that for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they make a lot of money off of the Olympics, so it's nice that they're, uh, they're doing a little freebie for the veterans and active duty military out there. Uh, and this goes for military as well. Anybody who has a shopmyexchange.com account who's eligible for it can do this. So like, say if you're overseas where I spent over half of my 13 years, I think I spent seven out of 13 years overseas, uh, in one way, shape or form uh, in various places and you would get AFN. And during the Olympics, AFN has a lot of stuff on. I remember the Olympics in, Oh, boy. Sydney, I think, was Sydney 2000? Yeah. Yeah. So that was when I was in Iceland. Iceland and Sydney, Australia have very different time <laughs> time zones. <laughs> so you would get stuff on a huge delay. Same thing going on now with uh, it taking place in South Korea, not North Korea. Get that straight. We're not doing the Olympics in North Korea. It's Pyeongchang, not Pyongyang. I had somebody actually confused about that the other day. I can't believe they're doing the Olympics in Pyongyang. Well, yeah, neither can no. I because they're not. Uh, so uh, you can watch it live through the NBC apps there. You can watch their replays on it. Uh, it's very cool. And if you go to ConnectingVets.com, you can click on Matt's story about that. It's right there on the front page. And that is a uh, it's a very cool little thing in the Olympics. Winter Olympics, maybe not as popular as the Summer Olympics, with the exception of a few events, such as figure skating is huge, of course. Um, hockey is a big one. Curling, believe it or not, is one of the top ratings getters for the Olympics. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating sport, man, and you can look into it. Curling ratings, NBC was like, yes, more curling. That's part of why they added this mixed doubles that I mentioned to the Olympics, because people wanted to watch more of it, and there's only so much you can have with... Uh, Probably because it helps put them to sleep. The regular... No, it does not. It's, <laughs> it's also, what as they were saying uh, during the game where the Americans lost to the Swiss last night... They were winning by one heading into the last end, which is like an inning, and then gave up six. So they ended up losing by five, and they're in a round-robin tournament to start off with. So that's not good because points uh, matter. It was not a good way to end it. But during the uh, the game, the announcers were pointing out how one of the reasons why it's so popular is that it's not the fastest-paced sport. It's not hockey. It's got action in it, but not to the extent of many of the other sports there. The thing is, all of the uh, competitors are mic'd up, and you can hear them discussing the strategy and what they're planning to do. You could hear the passive aggressiveness between the American team <laughs> last night, the husband and wife. 
I cracked up because the wife said to the husband at one point, what do you hate about this shot? It, was not, it wasn't like, <laughs> why don't you like that? Like, what do you hate about it? it? I was like, oh man, that is such a husband and wife interaction. Trouble in right paradise. There. Yeah. You know, she wanted to do one shot. He wanted to do another. And it's only two people on the, in this mixed doubles. So they have to discuss it back and forth. And that was her. Why do you hate this shot? It's like, oh, the passive aggression is strong with this one. And there it was. Uh, he probably should have hated that shot because they ended up losing again, as I said. Then they had a game at 1130. I was going to try to stay up to watch some of that, but no way, man. I had to be in bed. Had to get to sleep. So got up there and did that. While we were sleeping, the government shut down, man. Oh, again? Yeah. Rand Paul with a filibuster, keeping things going, delaying the vote. And if it got delayed past midnight, they couldn't vote on it. Those are the rules. Uh, So that shutdown happened as of midnight. As of this morning, the shutdown is over. It lasted for a couple of hours. There was a vote, uh, early morning vote in Congress, House approving major budget deal early Friday morning that ended the brief government shutdown that was caused by uh, Senator Rand Paul, whose argument was, hey, Republicans, we were complaining about the budget expanding for the last eight years under the previous uh, uh, president, not the budget, but the debt ceiling. That's what we're doing here. Why is it okay now just because we're in power? A point that some people agreed with, but one thing that I think everybody agreed with is they don't want the government shut down. So Congress, uh, the House in particular, approved the major budget deal early Friday morning, that being today. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's it's good that our uh, fellow uh, veterans out there who might work for places, the VA, things like that. The VA has money set aside in case of a shutdown so that so nothing happens to them because they're providing such important care. Uh, but it's good that it's not shut down. You know, right. We're happy about that. We don't want the military getting delayed and when they get paid because we are well it would have it would have had to have been a week the first and the 15th of every month is when the military gets paid it's the ninth so they would add a week to straighten it out but uh, it got straightened out within a matter of hours which is good more coming out of dc and that's general mattis speaking about daca you know that program really the dreamer issue Yeah. yeah and here's why he was talking about it because there are Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, program members serving in the United States military, as well as veterans of the United States military. Defense Secretary Mattis announced yesterday that they will not face deportation. The veterans or the military members will not face deportation, uh, saying basically, you know, uh, they uh, because of their service in the military, they're not going to be deported, which... Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are people who disagree with that. There are also people who agree with it. It kind of goes in with a, an op-ed that I have that will be coming out today on the issue of Miguel Perez Jr., which we've talked about a little bit on the show before. He's the veteran uh, from the uh, Chicago area. He was a uh, legal permanent resident, came to the U.S. when he was about eight years old, shortly thereafter became a legal permanent resident. His family are green card holders, so not U.S. citizens, but allowed to stay in the United States under certain conditions, one of them being you don't commit any crimes, He served in the United States Army, uh, was kicked out of the Army for a drug problem, apparently, and then a few years later uh, was arrested trying to sell over two pounds of cocaine to uh, uh, the police. Ouch. Yeah, so he's facing deportation any day now. Uh, He looked for clemency from the governor of Illinois. The governor said no. My op-ed is is about the uh, way that the media presented that issue because a lot of the stories, as we first discussed it earlier this week, the stories didn't have a lot of detail. That whole two pounds of cocaine, you weren't finding that in a lot of the stories. That whole kicked out of the army for drugs, weren't finding that in a lot of the stories. And I dug deeper and found even more stuff and brought up a lot of questions about exactly who this guy was and why he was being used 
uh, in this way and why it was like, you know, two time deployed veteran. You can, you'll find out in the op ed, he didn't deploy two times. It's, uh, I'm willing to give the media the benefit of the doubt on it, but you and I both looked at it and said, this isn't two deployments. This is one deployment with R and R leave in the middle. Yep. That's the only thing it could possibly be because it was two deployments within one year and he's not special operations. He's not doing like a, a three month, four month green beret deployment, coming back for three months, going back for three. He was regular army. No one seems to know what unit he served in, what his MOS was. No one who served with him is coming out in support of him. So that kind of, you know, sometimes you can say the most by not saying anything at all. And that seems to be going on there. Uh, but yeah, convicted drug felon facing deportation. Uh, and we've got a, a story that I think is going to get a little bit of attention. Uh, my op-ed on that coming out later on today. But the Dreamers, the DACA recipients, who are people who came to the country illegally but as children. So not their decision to come here. Uh, there is a, a big discussion going on about do we allow them to stay here? How do we do so? Do we give them a path to citizenship? Do we start deporting people? There's a big disagreement uh, within the government on that. The DACA program is Coming to an end, that seems to be a sure thing at this point. Uh, but for veterans and active duty military members who are deferred action for childhood arrival recipients, Defense Secretary Mattis, the mad dog, saying they will not be deported. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think no matter where you stand on the immigration uh, issue, people who have served this country, done so honorably, and haven't done anything wrong, haven't committed any crimes beside the being brought here illegally when they were uh, when they were children. I think they should be allowed to stay. Those people. Yeah. You know? and I, Yeah, I agree. I mean, for the most part, I'm kind of a pro immigration guy, but I do agree in, in this specific case that, yeah, I'm pro immigration if you do it the right way. If you do it legally, I don't believe in people just, you know, coming and, and doing whatever they want, and not. Uh, becoming citizens. I think if you come into this country and you want to stay here, you should be striving towards citizenship and there's a right way and a wrong way to go about that. That's how I kind of look at the issue personally. But as I talk about in the op-ed on Miguel Perez, I would be all for anyone who is a legal immigrant to the country serving in the military for, you know, four years, five years, whatever their contract is, depending on what their job specialty is. I would be fine if they serve honorably, get out with an honorable discharge with granting them citizenship automatically. Yeah. Now, Perez claims that he thought that's what happened already. You <laughs> told me there's no way. Man. No, there you is, witnessed there... every there that you were a drill sergeant and you witnessed immigrants coming into the military being told hey this is what you need to do to do this i mean it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me and again this is all you can read more about this in detail they said from 2002 to 2015 109,000 immigrants who joined the military became citizens how come that 109,000 knew what to do and this one guy didn't I just wasn't paying attention or just didn't care. Yeah. Well, his track record seems to show that he's not the kind to do what he's supposed to or what he's told to. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting story. And the way it's been presented by certain media outlets, uh, it's it's not very kosher, as uh, some people might say. It's uh, it's an interesting story. And again, more of that coming on ConnectingVets.com later today. Speaking of Secretary Mattis, there's a new rule at the Pentagon that says any harassing behavior is banned. Okay. That's that's good. Yeah. Right? Now, of course, you can have that gray area where what someone what someone considers harassing, everyone else doesn't. Things like that can happen. Offensive jokes 
That's another thing that's been banned at the Pentagon. And that's funny considering the fact that General Mattis, or Secretary of Def- I keep calling him General Mattis, yeah. Secretary of Defense Mattis has been known to use colorful language to sort of inspire troops. So, I mean, it's a little surprising that he cracked down this hard on it. Well, here's the quote from him from uh, when he spoke yesterday. You have to adapt to your times. There's a rough good humor among soldiers. We all know that, but I've never seen rough good humor countenance or in any way frame something that's disgusting, repellent, or something like that. Okay, but here's the problem. Again, what you and I might find offensive Someone else might not. What someone else finds offensive, we might not. I mean, where is the line on that? Is it just no jokes, basically? Just be careful because you make any joke about anything. You make a joke about, uh, I don't know, one of the other branches of service. We do that constantly. I constantly make jokes about the Coast Guard, the Air Force, the Army, the Marine Corps, because the Navy's so much better than all those other services. It's so easy to make those <laughs> It's so easy to make those jokes. <laughs> And, and some of those jokes offend uh, those uh, like Jake. He gets very upset. Uh, he's cried once when I was making fun of the army. It's true. Hey, you were really mean that day. I said it into the microphone. Therefore, it must be true. It's now it's now on the record, right? But with these stories, it, it generally falls upon, I mean, the military has a history, at least in my experience, of uh, siding with the, the accuser. Because an yeah. example I always bring up is when I was my second deployment, one of our S2 guys on his desk in the on the fob had a picture of him and his wife on their honeymoon and they were at uh, somewhere in Mexico and they were in swimsuits and a female contractor came in and said I find that picture offensive because that woman is scantily clad I want it taken down yeah. and the guy was like no this is my honeymoon this is the happiest moment I had with my wife and I want this to inspire me the command made him put it away yeah i mean that kind of thing does happen and that's that's where i think you can see things being kind of uh, silly, I guess you could say, you know, where you see things and you're like, why, why is that an issue? But that's what sometimes happens. Now, Mattis also said, I don't want to lose all sense of humor in the military, but I've never seen an ounce of belief in the military that you can denigrate someone. <clears throat> okay. I mean, if, if you're saying that according to the instruction, harassment may include offensive jokes, epithets, ridicule or mockery, insults or put downs, ridicule or mockery, I, th- that's a very wide ranging. I mean, yeah. we ridicule each other all the time. People ridicule my Navy, uh, my favorite United States Navy for uh, a variety of things. Uh, you can, I'm sure you've heard some of them before yourself. Uh, Jake may have even said some himself, but I can either confirm or deny. Yeah. You know, there's someone you, some of the things, some of the jokes that I've heard about sailors and about the Navy, somebody else may be incredibly offended by that. And uh, I personally am like, "Eh, that's pretty good. Eh, How about this one? How about I come back at you with a joke about the Marine Corps or whatever? I mean, we joke about things like that on the show. I tell people I wanted to go into the Marine Corps, but they wouldn't let me in because I scored too high on the ASVAB test. You could could count to 11 without taking your shoes off. Yeah, I knew how to read. That was a big, uh, big no, no, (laughs) all those different things that we say. And it's, uh, it, it tends to be in good fun, but Someone could take that the wrong way. There could be that Marine who's listening out there right now yelling at their uh, their phone or their laptop or their radio going, hey, I know how to read. Okay. Yes, it's a yeah. joke. <laughs> I understand that. Most Marines do know how yeah. to read. Well, they're listening. We got to speak their language. Uh, rah, rah, <laughs> yuck, yuck, kill, kill. <laughs> oh, man. It's all fun. See, yeah. again, again, like you said, this is we joke back and forth. I've heard a lot of jokes about the Army, and I'm like, eh, okay, so there's some truth to that but it's a lot of false and blah right. blah blah so and as being a drill sergeant yeah what how far does this you know 
mockery and stuff go. Like when we tell a guy, you know, you can't do it, you can't do it, and he turns around and does it, trying to inspire him like that, is yeah. that counting as denigrating? I what mean, what if he doesn't do it and he's like, the drill sergeants told me I couldn't do it. They were for, they knew I couldn't do it, and they were laughing at me. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's how he viewed it. Again, it's how people perceive things, but. This whole thing uh, is going to have a wide-ranging effect on the military because, you see, military members who harass or bully people on the job or online will get a permanent mark on their service record if they're found to be guilty of that. That's according to this new uh, policy on harassment. Includes sexual harassment, bullying, hazing, other forms of hostile online behavior, workplace discrimination. There's all sorts of stuff out there that, uh, you know, you could see how this could be a positive. You could also see how it could be abused. That's the problem. I mean, does this mean we can't send any more privates looking for grid squares or headlight fluid? Does that, yeah. does that, does that count? Line. Yeah. I, I got caught Waiting one time. Mail buoy. Yeah. I got caught trying to find a road wheel pressure gauge. Which, if you don't know, the road wheels on a tank are made of solid rubber. Yeah. There's no air in them. Yeah. But I went to I went around to the 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 motor pool NCOIC and asked them for a road wheel pressure gauge. Yep. Because yep. I didn't know I was a dumb private. Everyone was a dumb private at some point. Oh yeah. I mean, some people have, were dumb privates for their whole career. Oh yeah. I've, I've met some of them, dumb seamen as well. Uh, the male buoy, of course, was was the classic one in the Navy where. They would have someone sit there with like a hook on the side of the ship and be like, all right, you're you're on mail buoy duty. You have to wait. We're going to pull alongside the mail buoy. You pull it up. If you don't get it, man, uh, nobody's going to get their mail. They don't think about the logistics of that. They're just scared of not doing their job properly. Right. So they're like, well, they must have flown the mail out to a buoy and then dropped it. And like, hey, come on, man. Think about it. How would that make sense? Uh, there's a lot of things like that could Things like that be uh, construed as harassment or bullying or hazing under these new rules depends on who the person is. If it really upsets someone, then yeah, it could be. And if that person, you know, I don't know exactly what the process will be, but you can certainly see how a policy like that could end up being abused and could end up being uh, obeyed by the letter of the law, if not the spirit, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's all about people's feelings and how they perceive things and stuff like that. You know, are you being bullied or are you not good at your job and being told that by, by yours? Exactly. There's a lot of questions that'll, uh, that'll be involved there and it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this and how many cases we see in the coming days, uh, you know, that, that are related to this. I mean, it, it could be quite a few, but this is, uh, again, it's something that I can see the positives, but I can see the negatives too. And you just hope that they'll find a way to implement it where they're able to take the uh, frivolous claims out and keep the serious ones in. But then again, what's a serious claim, Jake? I don't know. You don't know. There's all sorts of stuff going on in the veteran and military communities. And that's what we do here on the morning briefing. We keep track of those. We talk about those. We discuss them because Jake and myself, both veterans, 13 years in the Navy for me, 13 years in the Army for Jake. And our whole team here, all veterans working on a lot of good stories like the ones we've been talking about where veterans and military can stream the Winter Olympics for free using their Shop My Exchange account. Oh, yeah. If you didn't know, you're eligible as a veteran with an honorable discharge to shop at the exchanges online only. Also got one there that our Caitlin Kenny wrote (laughs) about soldiers to compete in the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. Jake, if you were competing in the Olympic Winter Games, what sport would you compete in? Oh, God. <laughs> I know the answer. It's figure skating. Oh, I would pay money to watch a long figure skating routine. Not the short routine, the long routine from JQs. Yeah, I got to do a couple pirouettes and twirls and stuff. 
They're not called pirouettes and twirls. They're called sow cows and triple axles and things like that. Come on, man. You got to learn the terminology. I just got to remember, what would Brian Boitano do? If he was here right now. Yeah, great song. But there are soldiers competing in the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. On the bobsled team, Nick Cunningham, New York National Guard, 1156th Engineer Company Vertical. He's originally from Monterey, California. He's on the bobsled team. Chris Fote, Major in Military Intelligence in the Army. Justin Olson, Sergeant in the New York National Guard. Nathan Weber, Sergeant First Class. And Green Beret in the U.S. Army. Those are bobsledders. On the luge team, Taylor Morris, Sergeant, U.S. Army Human Resources. Matt Mortensen, Sergeant, U.S. Army Interior Electrician. Uh, who, who's from Huntington Station, New York. That's where I lived uh, before we moved down here. And then Emily Sweeney is a sergeant in the New York Army National Guard, who's originally from my home state of Connecticut. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven soldiers taking place in the Olympic Winter Games. That's cool. I mean, that just goes to show that veterans are everywhere. We're a very diverse culture. Including an entire bobsled team, which uh, that in and of itself is pretty darn cool, I think, you know? that you've got four people. I, I, I imagine that they're on the same bobsled team and then luging those luge guys, man, they're out of their minds. Oh yeah. Luge and skeleton. I think luge, you go down feet first. Skeleton is face first. They're moving at such high speeds. The guy died at the last Olympics. You remember that he went off the track and crashed yeah. into a pole and yeah, died. I mean, it's incredibly dangerous, but Hey, our U S army, Navy, Marine Corps, air force. We look danger in the eye every day. Sometimes just when you go to the, the galley or the mess hall and you're like, what is that that they're yeah. feeding us? Well, but not the I Coast Guard. I'll eat it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> See, there you go. That's bullying. That's uh, harassment. I'm sorry. Denigrated. I'll go. I shall be punished. And the Coast Guard does many fantastic things, as do we all, as does the VFW. Their Kata Kelleher will be joining us in just a little bit. It's the morning briefing, Friday edition, February 9th, back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. I'm in the business of getting good information and intel to veterans. Speaking of which... Our next guest served honorably in the United States Army, rising to the rank of Major General before his retirement. But his service didn't end there. Oh, no. Major General Mark Graham continues to serve the military and veteran community through the Vets for Warriors program. And he joins us now to tell us more about the work their great team is doing to assist veterans and active duty military members in crisis. General Graham, thank you so much for joining us. How are you this morning? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Thanks. So if we can quickly talk about your background in the military, as I mentioned, you rose to a two-star general during your time in. So when did you join the Army, and how long did you serve for, sir? I came in the Army uh, in late December 1977, and uh, I'm an ROTC graduate uh, from Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky, and I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, so from um, St. Louis area. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and I had a lot of great folks working for me that, that kept me going, that's for sure. Right. And what were some of the commands that you took uh, during your time, as uh, particularly the, your, your later years as a flag officer in the United States Army? I, uh, I was a deputy commander for Army North, uh, which was uh, involved with Hurricane Katrina and uh, preparing for disasters and, uh, around, the, uh, around the nation. Uh, also, I was the uh, commander of 1st Army Division West, working with our National Guard and Reservists to stay prepared for deployments. 
and also the commanding general of Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, from there, I went on to be the Forces Command uh, operate G357 Operations Training Plans Officer uh, for the for Forces Command, which is about 85% of the conventional forces in the Army. Wow. Now, General, when we think about people transitioning from the military, and that's one of the big things that we touch on here at ConnectingVets.com, we oftentimes think of the, the junior soldier, sailor, marine, airman, coast guardsman, national guardsman, who served maybe a four-year term, maybe did a little bit longer, like I myself, I did 13 years. What is the transition like for someone like yourself who serves for so many years and achieves the rank of, of major general? What was transition like for you going from the military to the veteran community? Well, first, uh, Eric, thank you for your service and for all those listening. Thank you for your service to our nation and uh, having worn the uniform. And thanks to all the families as well, because uh, families are so key. And I can also call vets for warriors, uh, along with our military and our veterans. So if you've ever worn the uniform of the nation, uh, for any any period of time at all, one day or however long, you can call 24 hours a day. It's live. It's confidential. Right. Uh, and talk to a veteran because when the phone rings, the veteran answers live. Uh, so transition, and I often, when I talk about transition, it doesn't matter if you, you transition after 34 years as a general officer or a flag officer or as a young soldier, sailor, airman, or marine that, that served two or three years. I think what you'll find is, uh, the level of transition is a little different because if you've been in a long time, you, of course, have a lot more, a lot of different habits and yeah. a lot of different thoughts. But if you have been in a short time, but your cultures change once you're in the military, no matter how long. And I think that's part of the key. So even when you get out, you, you know, you go out and you talk to Vietnam-era veterans, even World War II veterans, and they want to talk to you about their service. And they might have been in for two or three or four years, but they always come back when they find out you served, they want to talk to you about their service. Right. And I mean, I talked to a 93-year-old guy just a few, uh, about a month ago, um, during an honor flight, and he, he and I were talking, and, you know, he says, I always remember my times in the Army. And this guy was a World War II veteran, so he fought and served for years, but he didn't stay in and retire. Right. Yeah, so I think it's the common bond because of the wearing the uniform and serving, no matter how long you serve. I think that's part of your, your threat of yourself. And I heard somebody at the end of the last interview talking about, so no matter how, how long you've been in, no matter what rank you've achieved, Transition's hard, and for yeah. those who think transition's easy, that just because you're a senior guy, there's people lined up knocking at your door, not necessarily the, the the answer. That's not necessarily true. You know, it's 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 a job getting a job. It is, and you know, when you get out of the service, whether you had four stars on a shoulder board or one chevron on your arm, you're starting off at the same place. You're you are right. no longer in the military, and that rank, you know, it has a meaning to your fellow veterans, has a re meaning to those still serving, but to the civilian world, it doesn't mean quite as much. Now, we're talking, of course, to Major General Mark Graham, who retired from the United States army and now continues to assist the veteran and active duty military and military family member and veteran family member communities through the vets for warriors program so general can you tell us a little bit about vets for warriors and how you came to be involved with them well great thanks eric i'd love to <clears throat> vets for warriors is vets the number four warriors and we're uh, we're a peer support line uh, and part of the premise of vets for warriors is is there's a crisis line out there that you can call the crisis line, but let, let's talk, let's get together, let's connect before you're at the point of crisis. Right. Um, if, you know, we do get some crisis calls, but the majority of our calls are not crisis because the idea is, is we want people to know that served or are currently serving, you know, everyone goes through things. Everyone seems to be going through something. So don't wait until you're at the point of crisis 
and you got three or four things coming at you to, to talk to somebody. Uh, when you call Vets for Warriors, our number is 855-838-8255, 855-838-8255. Within 30 seconds, a veteran answers the phone live. No voicemail, no caller menu. You get a live answer from a veteran who served. Um, over 70% of our veterans are combat veterans as well. We have Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, male, female, and we have veterans from every era, from Vietnam on up to Iraq and Afghanistan, OIF, OEF, and the current fights. So we cover all the areas. And then once you call us and contact us, we connect with you, and then we follow up and call you back. And what we then do is we work with you, no matter what you're going through, to connect you to resources and communities to make sure we can, we're helping you get connected into your community because that's where you live. That's where you're going to live and work and thrive and do well. So we want to we want to help connect you to them. But then we follow up and check and see how it's going, what else is going on, what else can we help with. And we work together with you. So our, our tagline is discover the power of connection, uh, which fits right in with what you all are doing. Yes, it does. And it's, it's, it's great that you guys are offering this. Now, General, who should contact Vets for Warriors? Who is the person that you would like to let know that now is the time for them to contact Vets for Warriors? What, what might the average person that you'd like to talk to now be going through? You know, we, we, talk, to, we talk to veterans and active service members from anything. I mean, the range is from a young service member who's getting ready to go on his first deployment and he was scared to death, so he called and talked, and he talked to another, to a veteran, and they talked through that. And he said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, but I, you know, I don't want my buddies to know that. And they had a really good conversation because the guy he talked to had deployed three times, and so he said, hey, that's normal, you know. So they just help him walk, walk their way through that, because sometimes people don't want to go in front of somebody else and tell them things like that. Same with their, if they're struggling with some kind of anxiety or, or post-traumatic stress or whatever. The number one reason, you know, because we track when they call, this, and Vets for Warriors is confidential. So when you call and talk to us, we don't share your information. We don't share any. You don't even have to tell us your name if you don't want to because that's not the intent. The intent is how can we support you? How can we work with you? Uh, so whether you give us your name or not, that's up to you. Right. We, uh, but what we, need to do is, what we want to do is connect them. And the top reasons people call typically are isolation, they're feeling alone, uh, anxiety, having a relationship issue, they're having some depression, or they're having some post-traumatic stress uh, symptoms. So they, they call us for multiple reasons. But it's like I said, it ranges from, from everywhere. Those are the top ones, and we, we, we track them so we, we know because we make sure we have training. We have 24 hours a day. We have a licensed uh, clinician on site as well. Um, and they guide our training to make sure we're always trained at the most current topics so that the peers uh, are on top of things and, and uh, understand what to deal with. Uh, substance abuse, sometimes uh, callers are just, they might be drinking too much or doing some other things, and, and they know it and they're struggling, so they just want to talk to somebody, but they don't want to seem weak to their friends or their, or their buddies or their pals or their coworkers right. or their family. So this is a place you can call. We had a guy call one time, and they, he wanted to talk to me, so he connected to me afterward, and he said, you know, I appreciate your appearance. He said, I want to talk to someone I didn't know and I was never going to meet. Yeah. Because uh, you can open up and talk to us, and then we can connect you to resources in your community uh, that can help with whatever you're going through, and then we follow up. And I think that's the key is confidential, and then we follow up. We don't just talk to you one time. We, you know, we talk to you however. We talk to you for as long as you want to talk. Right. For as many times as you want us to talk and call you back, uh, it's up to you. And we're speaking to Major General Mark Graham, retired United States Army General, who is speaking to us about the program Vets for Warriors that he is a part of. And one of the words, General, that we've heard you mention repeatedly is peer. 
that this is 24-7 and they are all active duty military or veterans who are answering the phones, who are answering the chats, who are answering the communications from these, these service members and veterans who are either in crisis or think they might be approaching one. How important is it, do you feel, for it to be a peer-to-peer type organization? And do you think that's been beneficial in the work that Vets for Warriors has been able to do? Yeah, I think it makes all the difference. Uh, when, when people, when when uh, veterans or military members call, and they first off they're surprised when someone answers live, and then the second surprise is when it's a veteran, uh, and you can just almost feel their anxiety lower when they when they know they're talking to another veteran, someone else who served and understands and has some of the same shared lived experiences that they have. Uh, so I think it's essential that that they talk to a peer. Uh, oftentimes. They don't want to talk to a clinician right away because they don't feel like a clinician understands, but a, a peer can help them work, work their way through that. Because remember, all of our peers have transitioned. All of our, all of our peers are they're not volunteers here. The, you know, these are jobs. We hire veterans to help others. Uh, so it's a win-win. And, and we bring them on. We, we hire them. We train them. And then they, they're there to, to support. And, and I think being a peer, you just have a more comfortable feeling. And there's a trust here that's a trust and a bond that happens very fast. Uh, because of that shared lived experience serving in the military. Right, that brotherhood and sisterhood that we all share having served in the military. You you understand each other a little bit better right off the bat than someone else might. So Vets for Warriors is, is of course, manned 100% by your peers. Veterans and fellow active duty military service members answer all the calls, chats, and contacts. As the general has told us, all calls are confidential. All callers can be anonymous. And the number, again, is 855-838-8255. And the organization is Vets for Warriors. Now, General, of course, you served and achieved the, the flag officer status, which means you were in charge of various commands through your time, which we've talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, is your time serving as a commander of men and women in the armed forces, seeing what you saw then and the difficulties that your soldiers dealt with, is that what made you want to go into working with an organization like Vets for Warriors? Well, I have some other reasons I'm up here. I mean, I, you know, my uh, my personal story is, you know, I had a son. Uh, I had a son died by suicide. Uh, there was a, a full scholarship student in ROTC studying to be an Army doctor, hmm. and then I also have my wife and I lost another son in Iraq uh, to an ID on a foot patrol. And um, so I, I I do this because, as my oldest son, Jeff, uh, said uh, after we lost our younger son, Kevin, he said, Dad, there's a lot of Kevins out there, uh, and, they, and they need help. So in this opportunity, uh, when I got a call about this program, I came up and said yes, and I didn't ask any other questions. I said yes, and uh, because I get to work with great veterans every day who are out there on the phones and on the uh, live chats and tweeting and doing all those other social media things all these young folks do but um because there are a lot of folks out there that are struggling in one way or another through one issue or another and there's help there's help and there's hope because we want them to thrive and do well and know they're not alone we're here 24 7 we're here when you need us not not when we're open because we're always open we're here when you need us Absolutely. And we're speaking to retired Major General Mark Graham of the United States Army, who is now representing Vets for Warriors and telling us about his his service continuing. And, you know, General, when we look at the issue of suicide within the military and veteran community, which is uh, it, it's an epidemic, it's something that needs to be addressed in that number. It may never get down to zero, but we certainly need to get it closer to zero veterans taking their lives each day, each month, each year. 
What more do you think can be done? What can the veteran community do to help address this serious issue that we face? Well, to me, the key is, is making sure every veteran knows that they're not alone. There's somebody that's waiting to talk to them on the phone or a live chat that they're never alone. No matter where they are, what time of day or night, uh, no matter what they're going through, there's not alone. There's hope and there's help. And, uh, and don't, don't make that decision. Talk to somebody, talk to somebody and, uh, and, and get connected. And that's, that's what we want to do. We want to help them early on as early as possible before they get to that point, before they reach that point, whether it's, whether it's depression, whether they're going, which is a, certainly a, a real illness, which my wife and I didn't understand at the time. Our son, uh, our son Kevin, took his life in June of 2003, and uh, while he was an Army ROTC cadet in college, um, and and you know we didn't we didn't realize how serious it was. We knew he was sad. We just didn't know you could die from being too sad. And now it's been many years. It's been many years now, and so there's a lot more education out there. So we need to understand it's serious when people are. Sad, when people are sad, when people are doing doing the things that we all know, you know, giving things away, talking about, you know, that people be better off without them, that's serious. And we got to make sure we get them into care because there is care for them. There is help out there. It is it is out there and it just requires reaching out or someone realizing that someone is in distress and needs, you know, a shipmate, a fellow soldier to reach out to them uh, and, and give them some of that help. And as we've talked to other people on this program who have either faced uh, suicidal thoughts themselves or who have dealt with it regularly with their friends, with their family members, one continuing theme that comes up is that. Many veterans, particularly and active duty military members, have been trained to overcome adversity. And when they have this adversity in their personal lives, this this mental adversity that comes up with the form of things like depression, PTSD, like we've been speaking about, they think of themselves as somehow having failed and being a burden to others. And that kind of causes them to be reticent to reach out for help. But it's important to let them know that they are not a burden, isn't it, sir? Exactly right, and and oftentimes they feel like it's a character flaw, and and they they seem weak to others, and and we need to make sure and help them to know it is it is not it is it is real, and there's help for it. it and one of the things we learned, and you know, sadly we learned after losing our son, but one of the things we learned is if if our son would have called us and told us he had you know he was having lung problems or heart problems or liver problems or anything else, you know, we'd have just fall all over ourselves to give him the best care. But when he said he had depression, we didn't understand enough about it. Uh, but it, 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 it's real. You know, when you're, when you're, you know, being sad, everyone gets sad. I mean, that's normal. But when you're sad too long, all, more and more, then that's something else. And, and the same thing with anything else you're going through. If you're going through a relationship issue or something else, you know, please don't think it's a, it's a character flaw. It's just life and, and things happen in life and there's help out there. So we got to get you connected and get you care and, uh, you know, if, you, if somebody says, hey, I'm on blood pressure medicine, nobody thinks a thing about that. But if, if somebody says, hey, they need, you know, they're on medication for, uh, for depression, you know, people, they're very, oftentimes react a little differently. And we've got to get beyond that. We've got to realize that health care is health care, no matter what part of the body it is. Um, so we do have to help folks know that it's not a character flaw. It's, it's real. And you're not weak. It's, it's something wrong. Get help for it, just like you would anything else. Right. And we're speaking with retired Major General Mark Graham, who is representing Vets for Warriors. Now, sir, you've been giving a lot of your time to this program, and I think there are a lot of other veterans and active duty military members out there who 
want to give back to the community and would like to do what they can to help out for this. So looking at Vets for Warriors in particular, I know you have this peer-to-peer service that you provide with veterans and military members answering all the phones, the chats, and any sort of contact from veterans uh, facing crisis. How can people volunteer to become a part of the Vets for Warriors team if they want to? Well, we do have a program called the Ambassador Program that's uh, that you can volunteer because one of our challenges is getting the word out and, and helping uh, getting awareness out there about the program because those calling the line, it's confidential. So they're, they're not necessarily out telling everyone else they've called or they've gone in on a live chat. Um, just like if you go to a nice restaurant and you tell other friends, right? I mean, hey, I went to this great place. But if you call the line, people aren't as likely to go out. Some do. But they're not as likely to go out and say, hey, I contacted Vets for Warriors because they'll say, well, why'd you call them or something? They'll start asking questions they don't want to answer. Uh, so we started a program called the Ambassador Program, and that's for people that can volunteer. They're not, they're not peers. They don't answer the phones or they don't answer the chats, but they help us get the word out. They go to events. They go to meetings. They, they help go out and let people know that Vets for Warriors is out here and how to contact a veteran 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And if people are interested in contacting Vets for Warriors, how can they go about that? Just uh, if they're interested in the ambassador program, they can go online at Vets, the number four. It's Vets, the number four, Warriors.com. And there's a, a button you can click on there that says Ambassador Program. Or they can just call the line and uh, ask how they can get connected on the ambassador program, and we can give the information and get them connected. And uh, the, the goal is to have uh, different ambassadors around the country so that we can make sure we're that there's no veteran alone out there, that every one of them knows. You know, one of the toughest calls we get are, are calls when they say, gosh, you know, I wish I'd known about you guys four months ago. I was really in a bad place. I'm doing a little bit better, but they're still having some challenges. So we work we work through those with them. But, you know, our goal is to help, and we appreciate you having on the show, but having us on the show because we want to make sure every veteran knows uh, that we're here 24 hours a day. We never shut down, and you're never alone. Absolutely. And those who think they might uh, need to reach out to someone, they can, of course, contact Vets for Warriors via phone at 855-838-8255. That number is 855-838-8255. And on their website, you can also uh, send a, a chat to them if you don't want to talk to somebody on the phone, if you're more comfortable typing. There's chat on there. You can email. And that's website again is vets, the number four warriors.com. Well, General, we want to thank you so much for your time today. And also thank you for the work that you're doing with Vets for Warriors. Uh, it, it's good to see that there are so many people out there like you who are uh, you know, giving back to the military that gave uh, so much to them and working to help our brothers and sisters in arms deal with the difficulties that they come up with. So thank you so much, sir, for joining us on the morning briefing today. Well, thanks, Eric. And thanks for having us on the show. And thank you for all you you do and uh, having this show for for our veterans and uh, thank all those out there that served or currently serving for your service and your great families absolutely we've been speaking to major general mark graham united states army retired who was speaking to us on behalf of a wonderful program out there that is called vets for warriors that is working to assist veterans who are in crisis or facing a crisis you know there are A lot of people out there who just don't know exactly what to do, how to deal with some of the feelings that they're having. Well, there are groups like Vets for Warriors out there to help them. And I'm very grateful for that and grateful for Major General Graham's time this morning. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it takes a while. For Air Force veteran and Connecticut resident Stephen McBergen, it was a little bit of both. My job closed unexpectedly uh, overnight and uh, it took about a year and a half, and so because I had money saved up, I, w- I was divorced. 
but I had money saved up, uh, you know, paying the bills and stuff. But finding a job when you're 56 years old is, is a difficult task. Eventually, Stephen's savings ran out, and he still hadn't found a new job. Stephen came to a realization. He was homeless. It's uh, quite an awakening. Uh, uh, to you, uh, you never think you'd find yourself in that situation, ever. Stephen crashed on generous friends' couches or an extra bedroom here or there, but he didn't like having to rely on the benevolence of others. He even felt like he was taking advantage of them. You're so proud, you don't even want to ask help from your best friends. So Stephen stopped asking for a place to stay and found one of his own. I decided to live in a tent for about a month during the summer, and then I finally realized, it was around that time, that I uh, realized that uh, uh, at my age, I, I, have to, I had to get help. With the Connecticut winter coming, living in a tent wasn't a good option. Stephen finally reached out for help from the VA. Eventually, he was put in touch with Homes for the Brave. We're a transitional housing program for primarily veterans, and these are men and women who are now obviously homeless, typically jobless, and in many cases battling mental health and or addiction issues. Vince Santilli is the CEO and executive director of Bridgeport, Connecticut-based Homes for the Brave. Along with providing temporary housing, Santilli says homelessness is often a symptom of underlying issues, issues that Homes for the Brave works to address. We prepare them. We provide case management services, vocational counseling, and life skills coaching to get them ready to become independently housed. Santilli, whose many awards for his volunteer and nonprofit work includes being named the Kennedy Center's Volunteer of the Year for 1998, is proud of how his organization has changed veterans' lives. We've had some amazing success stories. We had a young man who came to this house three years ago in his 50s and said, you know, on, on the first day they meet with a vocational specialist. And on that first day said, you know, I always wanted to be an EMT. That man who wanted to be an EMT? Stephen McBurgan. I mean, you have to apply yourself, obviously. And, and it's not just becoming an EMT. I mean, if you, you can do anything you want. When they say that, you, you can do anything you want if you just put your mind to it. Stephen did just that. And with Homes for the Brave helping him figure out the best course of action in pursuing his dream, Santilli says Stephen is a prime example for other homeless vets that there's hope not just for getting their heads above water, but to exceed and excel even above their own expectations. He is now a full-fledged DMT, so it was a very powerful statement when he came just before Christmas and spoke to our residents and said, you know, three years ago I was sitting in your seat and now I have my own apartment here I am going to work, saving lives every day. And there is nothing more powerful than a statement like that. When Stephen reflects on his time as a homeless veteran, he wishes he'd reached out for help earlier. And he hopes that veterans in similar situations fight against the things that might keep them from reaching out. We were trained to, to overcome situations, you know, and to come to that realization that you, you really do need the help. You know, it, it's there for you, but it's not as much a shame that it is you're proud and you, 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 you don't want to ask for help. Both Stephen McBurgan and Vince Santilli say that around the country, not just in Connecticut, there are organizations working alongside the VA to provide homeless veterans with the assistance they need. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 